was in high school and I was playing basketball, I remember my coach always saying, it doesn't matter how you start, it's how you finish. And, uh, you know, that, that meant something to me because all you wanted to do when you were playing high school basketball, all you want to do when you play sports is you want to be the starter. You want to get out there and you want to start the game. But I remember many a games that I didn't start, but I was able to finish. But we prepare ourselves to finish by how we start. So how you finish something will determine how you begin, and how you begin will determine how you finish. Last night I went to a wedding, and it was interesting what the minister said when he looked at the bride and groom, and and he told them, he said, what you do in your lives as individuals will carry over into your marriage relationship. See, how they end their life as an individual will influence what they do as a couple through marriage. And I thought, how fitting is that for this new year to realize that 2011 is gone. We can't go back. But how we finished up that year will determine how we start today in 2012. And so today what I want us to do is we're going to look at the Scripture. And we're going to see the foundation that God has set before us and where He wants us to go. And to begin, I want to share a story about an architect who in 1174 began work on what would become his most famous project. It was a bell tower that was supposed to be located outside one of the local cathedrals. The tower is to be eight stories high and 108 stories and 185 feet high. There was just one little problem. The land which they built the tower was too shallow for the structure. And sure enough, before long, the bell tower began to tilt, and it continued to tilt until finally the architect realized that nothing could be done. And we know that tower to be the leaning tower of Pisa. It took 176 years to complete, and many attempts were made to compensate for the tilt. The foundation was shored up. The upper levels were even built at an angle to try to make the top of the tower look straight. But nothing worked. The tower has stood for over 800 years, but it leans about 17 feet away from where it should have been. And it was closed in 1990 for fear that it would fall and cause loss of life and injury. One wrote about the tower and said, The leaning tower of Pisa is a vivid reminder that foundations may well be hidden, but they are essential. If you have your Bible, you can open to Matthew 7. We're going to be reading today from the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus' conclusion to the sermon. And he writes these words, as you read aloud with me, it says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall. Because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. If you have a pen, I want you to circle a word in that passage that is used twice. That is the word, hears. Jesus said, for those who have heard these words, now what's interesting about this passage is that thousands came to listen to the words of Christ. 
Many scholars believe that Jesus uh, preached these words in one setting. Others believe that he came back to the same location for several days. But the point is that the people continued to come regardless because they knew there was something different about Jesus. And in fact, as he ends the whole chapter, it says that when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Now, what's interesting is that word hears relates to us. Because the bottom line is we have all heard who Jesus is. If you have been coming here for the last 10 years since the church has been in Blythewood, you have sat in roughly 520 Sunday morning services. That means you have heard the scripture at least 520 times. You have heard the word of God being taught to you at least 520 times. If you have come here within the last two years since we've been in this building, you have heard roughly 125 sermons. You've heard 125 messages from the Word of God. See, because the point of this passage is the people heard. You are the people. The people is the church. The people are those who have set out and said, I am going to listen. I am going to hear the Word of God. And so today we have to look at each other and realize we are on a level playing field. We have heard God. I don't know your background. Maybe you're just coming because somebody invited you. But guess what? Today you will hear the scripture. Today you will hear the word of Christ being taught. And many of you here have heard that word. And so we look at that and we realize it establishes the foundation. And that foundation is we have all said we are going to seek the name of Christ. So because of that, we are on the same playing field. But then as we read the scripture, we see that Jesus is talking about two different types of people. He talks about the wise man, and then he talks about the foolish man. Because even though we come here on the same playing field, we have either built that field on a rock, or we have built that field on soil. And so today, as I look around here at you, you are either the wise man on the rock or you are the fool on the soil. And so we have to establish that before we go in and look at the rest of the scripture. So the first thing that we see is that the people heard. The people heard and the foundation was set. So what is the foundation? The foundation was laid as Jesus began his sermon, as he talked about salt and light about how as followers of Christ, we are to be a light in the community. That when others see us, they aren't supposed to see Matthew. They aren't supposed to see Toby. They aren't supposed to see Jackie. They're supposed to see Christ. He tells us how we are supposed to react when we become angered. How we are supposed to be honest. How we are supposed to be men and women of integrity. How we are supposed to be generous in making ourselves available to everyone else. How we are supposed to show love and reconciliation. How we are supposed to pray. How we are supposed to be generous, trust others, and be dependent. And how we are supposed to look at others and give mercy to them. These are the words that God laid out. So what the people heard is the word of Christ. What they heard were these words. And Jesus says, as you hear these words, you are either the wise man taking action or you are the fool. So we see that the people heard, but we also see that wise men take action. Jesus wrote, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. 
And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. So the first foundation we look at is the foundation of the rock. It is a foundation of action. It is a foundation that says, God, you are not only my Savior, but I will make you my Lord. I will submit my life to you, and I will take action with the things that I have learned in this book And I will apply them to my life, and I will be a doer. I will go out, and I will do something about it. And when I look at this, one word that stands out to me is the word wisdom. And so I ask myself the question, what is wisdom? What is wisdom? Have you ever thought about that? In any moment in your life, it is a word that we hear often, but what does it really mean to be wise? As I was thinking about this word, I, I, I wrote a little Matthewism on the word wisdom. From what I've studied, I believe it is looking past the moment and understanding potential outcomes. I believe too often in our life we live in the moment. We see things for what they are. We desire things for ourselves, but that desire does not leave long satisfaction. So what does it mean? Wisdom is making a decision not based on your own desires, but off the desires of Christ. What does God desire? It said it is the will of God that all know Him. God's desire is that we are a light, that we take what we learn and we apply it so that others can see Christ living in our life. That is His desire. So I ask you, in any situation, when you are, 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 are faced with some situation, with some decision, do you look and say, will God receive glory because of the outcome of this situation, or will it Take away from the glory of God. When you are faced with temptation in any situation, how will this give God more glory? Or will it only take it away? But God also gives us this word discernment, which is the process of thought that enables us to make wise decisions. The Bible says that God will not put us in a situation that we can't handle. And God gives us a way out of every situation. If it is a bad situation, God always gives us a way out. And so we look at wisdom, we look at discernment, we realize that God is on our side. Okay, He wants to help us. He wants to help us get out. And He gives us a way to get out. But let me ask you, are you listening for that way? Are you seeking that way? Are you building on the rocks so that when you are faced with those problems that you will be able to get out? I love what the author Sandra Carey says about wisdom. She says, never mistake knowledge for wisdom. One helps you make a living, the other helps you make a life. As I looked at this passage, I saw two things that when we look at wisdom, what we need to do to apply wisdom into our life. And the first thing that I see is that we don't boast in wisdom, we follow it. We don't boast in it. We're not big talkers, we follow it. Listen to what James 3 verses 13 through 16 says. It says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. So what we see here in this passage is that there is a wisdom that comes from God that is good. But on the other end, there is a wisdom that the earth is trying to put into our minds, put into our lives that is only going to destroy us. 
So if we follow that earthly wisdom, look at the outcome as we continue to read. It says, but the wisdom from above is, well, excuse me, it says, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. So when we see earthly wisdom, it brings disorder. What is disorder? It is chaos. What is chaos? Chaos is sin. See, God came to reestablish order. He had everything laid out the way that he wanted it to be, but what did we do? We disobeyed. We missed the mark. We sinned against God. So as a result, we see this chaos. We see this cancer that has come and has plagued us. It has plagued us. But what God has done is he came. He nailed himself on the cross. He took our sin and three days later rose again, conquering death, saying that I can recreate the order in your life if you just give it to me. And that is what wisdom is. And it says, but the wisdom from above is first, it is pure. Then peaceable, it's gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And the harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. It's something that we do. It's not something that we say. See, godly wisdom is a wisdom like the old man who just sits in his rocking chair. And when he talks, we listen. Why? Because he has lived his life. He has seen, he has acted, he has done. And so when he talks, because he chooses his words wisely, you listen. But the know-it-all, who doesn't know when to stop talking, we just let him get those words out. But the wise we listen. Listen to what Proverbs twenty nine eleven says about wisdom. It says, A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Proverbs twenty nine twenty says, Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. So what is wisdom? Wisdom is fearing God. It is a fear of respect. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Proverbs 1, seven says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Psalm 111.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow His precepts have good understanding. To Him belongs eternal praise. So what does it mean to fear the Lord? That word fear in all three verses in Greek means yurah. It is a word meaning fear, terror, fearing. Awesome or terrorizing fear. What it is, it is a fear of respect. A fear to be revered. A fear of reverence. It is a fear that says, God, I give my life to you. The picture of that word is of a, it's, a, it's a picture of a peasant coming before a king. And as he bows down before that king... He understands that at any given moment, that king has the authority to wipe him clean. To take his home away, to take his family, to take all his belongings. But we come before him with fear and trembling. And we bow down and we say, Lord, we come to you. That is the fear of reverence. There was a time in my life when I was just going through a rough patch. I was very vulnerable before the Lord. It was just a time where I was hurting spiritually. And I'll never forget one night when I went to bed, I had one of the most awful dreams that I've ever had. And I won't go into too much detail with it. But the point of the dream was I was with a couple friends. And I'll never forget we were in this big atrium about the size of this room, but it was inside a house. 
And there's some sort of entity in the room. And I remember saying, if you believe Jesus is Lord, turn the lights on and off once. Lights went on and off once. I said, if you believe that he is the son of God, turn them on and off again twice. And it happened twice. I realized that something in here was not of God and that it was time to get out. I looked at my buddy. I said, you go this way. Uh, And I grabbed my other friend. I said, you're coming with me. We're going to try to get this thing off course. Now, in dreams, what's so weird about dreams is you can just transition from one scene to the other. You know what I'm talking about? You're just like, okay, how did I get here? I'm in Candyland. You know, I mean, and so it's just something like really weird like that. But I'll never forget, I went from this building, and then I went into a hospital. I walk in the hospital, and I see one of my closest friends laying down in the bed. And I get into the room, and when I look into the mirror to the right of me, to the left of him, what I see in the mirror is not my friend. Immediately, my alarm goes off in the middle of the night. I felt a pressure on top of me that I've never felt before, and I tell you, it was extremely real. My natural reaction was just to start praying. As I cried out to God, as I continued to pray, I felt this pressure releasing, 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 releasing. Once it finally was away, I fell to my knees. I continued to pray. I crawled. I turned off my alarm. And I sat there in tears as I cried out to God for what I knew was happening was a spiritual attack. But I'll never forget this moment. As I sat back on my bed and as I prayed, it was as if God himself was sitting on the bed with me as I went to sleep, looking at me saying, it's okay. I'm right here. It's okay. I'm right here. For see, when we stand before the throne room of God, when we respect Him out of fear, and we bow down in fear and trembling, God looks at us as King, as Lord, and He says, It's okay. I'm right here. And the Bible says that He calls us friend. So to act in wisdom is to act in fear. It's to submit your life and to follow Jesus as Lord. And as you follow him as Lord, great things happen in your life. We see communities transformed. We see people changed. And we see action happening. For this church to continue to go and to grow and to reach others for Christ, we have to take action. I look at our student ministry and I see how it has grown over the last three years. To go from zero to 90 in three years is unheard of. But as a result of that, we need help. Our leadership is overwhelmed because we have so many students, but all we want to do is invest in their lives. I think so often when we think about coming and helping with students, we feel like we've got to be cool, we've got to be trendy. We've got to wear the newest V-neck t-shirt, you know. We feel like that's what's got to happen. But let me tell you something about students. When it's all said and done, they don't care about that. What they care about is someone who loves them. Am I right? Someone who cares and wants to invest in their life no matter what. It's that word, love. And when we take love, when we take action, we are acting as if we are on the rock. 
and we are being the wise man, changing the community, changing the world, and reaching everyone for the gospel of Jesus Christ. The wise man built his house on a rock. And the rains came. And the floods rose. And the winds blew. But the house stood firm. On the other end we see the fool. And what I see about the fool is that fools talk a big game. But they just sit around. You know, fools are the guys on the team that yeah, they're the best player until you actually go out and play with them. You know those guys, if you ever play pickup basketball or any sport, I look at some of the guys here who play sports in the back and up here up front. You know, I, you know those guys. You know those guys. You go out there and they're like, yeah, man, I hit like this and all that. You know, man, I can dunk. And then they can't even make a layup. And so you're out there with them and you're playing with them. And, you, and we know those people. See, that is what the fool is. The fool is the one who talks the big game. In essence, the fool is the griper. The fool is the one that says, me, 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 me. In the church, the fool is the one who is always complaining. I don't like the music. I don't like this. I want this. The air conditioning is not on. I hate this. And so, I mean, they're the ones that are always complaining. But let me tell you something about the fool. When the fool comes to complain, guess what? You're just cleaning out my ear because it's just going through one and out the other. Because no one likes a whiner. No one likes a complainer. Because the fool just sits around and does nothing. And they take no action in their life. When I was growing up, I, I built stadiums in, in high school and in, and in college. That was my summer job. Um, I've talked about it before. We built Blythewood High School. And, and one of my really good friends, um, I'll say his name, I don't care, Stephen, he and I, we built together. And we've known each other since we were two, so I can say whatever I want. And so we were, we were, we built together. Now, what's interesting about that is when you get up at 6 a.m. one day, we got up at 3:45. I mean, there are long days working. What happens is some days you just don't want to be out there. And it always happened that one day I'm excited to work, he doesn't want to work. The other day he's excited to work, I don't want to work. Now, what's interesting is that is what a fool does. Because listen to this: 20% do 80% of the work. And so the wise are the ones picking up the work of the fool. And so there were days that I was the fool. There were days that he was the fool. But what happened is when you have a fool, it's a lot harder to work. And you spend most of your day trying to motivate them to get things done when you should be going out and taking action elsewhere. So what does the Bible say about the fool? Jesus says, whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. He says in Matthew 9, 37 and 38, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The time is now, church. We are not guaranteed another breath, as James so often prays, and I know he believes it in the bottom of his heart. We are not guaranteed tomorrow. So what are you doing with today? Where is your investment here? Where is your investment in the community? I look around this room and I see our Segway leaders coming over and sitting with our students. I see others that I know and have invested with over the years and seen how they have taken action helping in this church. 
I look at Michelle who goes week in and week out to Gonzalez Gardens to invest in the lives of these kids so that they can see what it is like to have somebody love them and care for them. And I look at that. And I see that is what God wants us to do because he understands that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few and we need more people to come and to help plant the harvest. Because one day it will all be done. James writes it best as he says, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Now, in that time period, mirrors were were made of polished metal. Now, what's interesting is if you do not polish the metal, you will not be able to see. Now, as we look at the scripture, we see the natural face in the mirror. We have to understand what is the natural face that we are looking at. And we have to go to 1 Corinthians 13, 12 to find out. It says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. The face that we are looking at in the mirror is the face of Christ. For see, God came to restore the natural face that we talked about. As we sinned against him, God came to give his life for us. And as we follow Christ, as we give our life to him, he gives us back that natural face. He gives us back himself. So if we do not go out and take action, if we we don't go out and become doers of the word, then we forget what Christ looks like in our life. And that mirror that we look like becomes rusty. And we will not be able to see Christ. And if we can't see Christ in our own life, imagine how blind he must be to everyone else watching. God wants us to be doers. And when it's all said and done, I feel sorry for the fool. And I hope today that we don't have a fool here. But here's the hope. Here's the hope. In Romans 8, 38 and 39, Paul wrote, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, the hope is that we know one day, if we are on that playing field, if we have one of those foundations, the hope is one day you will see God. Because he promises us that he will never leave us. He will never forsake us and that nothing can separate us from his love. But I will tell you this. If you do not build your foundation on a rock, you will miss out on the fullness of God's love. Jesus said, I have come to give you life and to give it to you the fullest. If you are not living for Christ, you are missing out on that great love. That almighty agape love. That everlasting love that never fails. That at the core there is the word forgiveness. 
We can never do wrong because God looks at us and he says, I love you. So why do we follow Christ? Why do we act as a wise man? We act because Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If we love God, we will obey what he tells us to do. And let me tell you this, church, love makes you do crazy things. It might be so crazy to where you put a bumper sticker on your car that says, I heart my wife. And for those of you who are laughing, you know who I'm talking about. But love makes us do absolute crazy things. I'll never forget when I was about six years old, there's a friend of my sister's, and this is kind of embarrassing, but I don't care. We would play house together, okay? Because when you turned on the TV, like the Dick Van Dyke show that was on Nick at Night at the time, which now is like the Cosbys are on Nick at Night, but that doesn't matter. Okay, so we've got, I'd come in, and, and the husband would always say, hey, honey, I'm home, and then he'd get a little sugar on the cheek. And so I thought, well, you know what? We can play house today. And so i say, you will be the wife, and I will be the husband. And so I'd open the door. I'd be like, hey, honey, I'm home. And she'd come up, and she'd give me a little kiss on the cheek, and I'd say, well, you know what? You did that. That kind of wrong. The way you rotated your head was a little off, so we need to do it one more time. And so I'd go out and I'd come back in. I'd say, hey, honey, I'm home. And so I'd be like, I'd do it on this cheek. I know, no, we should have done it on this cheek. All right, just stay where you are. I'm going to go back out. And so I'd come back in. I remember on the third time she gave me a little sugar and she goes, Matthew, I don't think we should be doing this. I said, yeah, you know what? You're right. Gosh, she's on to me. And so I knew that my secret was being let out. So I had to just hold off for a second. But here's the thing. No matter how old we get, we all have that little child in us. That when love blossoms in our life, we become that giddy again. And we will do whatever it takes to let the person we know, that we love, know that we love them. See, when we love Christ, when we are wise, we will do whatever it takes to let others know that we love him. Because when you fall in love, you shout it for all to see. And when you love Christ, that light should shine so bright that there is no question you've built your foundation on the rock. So what does love look like? Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. He said, this is the first and greatest commandment and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. When we stand on the rock, we look to heaven and we say, God, minister to me so that you can minister through me. And we take action to the things of God. And we apply God and his word to our life. But the full just stands around. In 1990, the Tower of Pisa was closed because it was in real danger of toppling over. But an international team of architects and engineers got to work to solve the problem. They took 12 years. They spent $25 million to reduce the tilt to 45 centimeters. Today, as we all know, the Tower still leans but not as much as it used to. And guess what? In 2001, the tower was opened again. 
so that others could climb to the top and look out over the beautiful countryside of Pisa. Jesus said, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There's no question about it. Today, you are the wise man, or you are the fool. But with Christ, it is never too late to become wise again and to build your life on the rock of God's salvation. What are you waiting for? There's no greater time than today to start your year off and to remember and realize that tomorrow or that yesterday can never be lived again. All we have to live for is today. Are you willing to be a rock in this church, in this community, with your children, with your siblings, in your home today?